Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you the philosophy that has underscored my personal and professional life and explore how osteopathy truly is for the health of all things. I see these principles in action every day in my varied roles as physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur, and hope they will light the way for the path to your best health. Please note that while I am a physician, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Thank you for joining me for episode 37 of season two of This Osteopathic Life. Today, I want to speak with you about the concept of one. And so many different iterations that have come up around this for me just in the last few days. And as they've emerged, I recognize that they've been present in my life, in the dialogue around my life, in the story I've been creating, in the soundtrack of my life forever. And they're present in the introduction of this podcast. So notice that I list seven different roles in the opening of this podcast. And to be honest, those are seven of many, many more, many ways that I see myself, many roles that I engage, many identities that I hold or facets to my identity that I see and hear and embrace and embody and integrate. And what I notice in that is it's never one thing. And that concept has really resonated with me throughout the last week. I had the opportunity to share my story in the EntreMD Business School Expo with Dr. Una. It's a collective that I'm in that's been amazing. And you can listen to her podcast, EntreMD, as well, and get different ideas and inspiration. And in my story, as I went back through and considered what has contributed to my entrepreneurial journey, what I have learned from it, what I noticed was that my whole life, for as long as I can remember, I was never one thing, or my interest was never singular. I was intrigued by and thankfully able to participate in multiple things. In grade school, I was in sports and in music, and that theme carried throughout my life and still does different weight on each of those engagements, but always embracing them, bringing all of that through. And when I ventured into medicine, messaging that I received, or at least the way in which I interpreted it, was that to be a doctor, you were a doctor, right? You were focused, and that was at least your priority, if not the exclusivity of your focus, And that never sat very well with me because I knew there were all these other pieces and I would shut some down. And sometimes that can be okay temporarily. It can be a shift. Maybe you evolve and you have new interests and identities that you integrate. But other times it can be really detrimental because if you're asking a piece of yourself that is truly integral to you and a key part of who and how you are, and you're asking that part to stay hidden Right, to not give it attention, to not nurture it, that can be 
really toxic. It can be detrimental to that part. And what we know, as we've discussed in multiple episodes, is that the part can not be well if the whole is not well. And then inherently that means right, the whole is well when the part is well and vice versa, that interrelationship. And so tracking back, looking back over kind of the years and timeline of my life and noticing those times when there really was a lot of neglect to certain parts of me and how that felt and what that meant and the implications and the significant impacts of that. And then recognizing, as in The Wizard of Oz, when it turns to Technicolor, how everything enriched when I brought back, resuscitated, engaged, embraced, remembered those parts. And like I said, you might have more time for one thing than another at a certain stage of your life, but when you can kind of drip, or I imagine kind of dripping that little drop of paint of color into each of them, and even if it is in a sliver, you rejuvenate all those parts of you. Close your eyes and picture, and if you're driving, don't close your eyes, but maybe imagine and picture the beauty of that and the importance of that and the vibrancy that comes with all colors, right? all aspects of oneself being noticed and being valued and being utilized. And maybe not in a super direct way. The musician in me may not always be playing an instrument, but as a musician, that is really where I learned collaboration. That's why I learned as a cellist, my role is setting the foundation, holding the tempo, honoring and creating a platform for others to shine. That's where I learned to read body language effectively and to take cues and to offer my leadership just at the same time that I was receiving and serving as a supporter to others. Chamber music, particularly when I think about my role as a musician, is my favorite place to be, and both with and without a director. But seeing and clearly noticing the parts of the individuals and then how they contributed to the collective, that part of me is always there, whether or not I'm holding a bow in my hand. And so when I remember that, and when I bring that forth, and when I honor that part of myself, everything else lightens up as well. And that's me stepping into my own oneness as a collection of all of these components. And so while, yes, I was never meant to be just one thing, and I will never be just one thing, I am one. I am one composed of many parts, all of which contribute to the whole of me. And I'm also one with, so I'm one with the world around me. In those musical groups, I was one with my fellow musicians. We were a quartet, right? We had that cohesiveness. And while, yes, we upheld our individual parts, it didn't exist except in the whole. And their oneness grew and grew even further into the symphony, right? And grew even further into all who played Beethoven's Ninth Symphony ever. There's a oneness and a unitedness in that 
that can be so expansive and huge. And so while I firmly stay with that concept of never one thing, and as I shared with my groups this week, that song so named and written and performed beautifully by May Early Wine from here in Northwest Michigan speaks to that dichotomy, right? To those differing but equally united parts of us that make us who and how we are. And while I will never be one thing, I will be the one that I am. And that will and is, will be and is enough. And one matters. When I think about one in patient care, we're often challenged in studies in osteopathic manipulative treatment that the numbers are too low. There's not enough data, there's not enough power to create the significance we need to prove the merits of a particular treatment. And I can respect and appreciate that. There are standards for studies in the way statistics are reflected, reviewed, utilized. But as one of my mentors from a distance, I did attend her courses live, but she's one of the icons of the profession, Dr. Viola Freiman stated clearly for me, and she was one of the key researchers in her era of work, that well, we see our patients one at a time. And that has always resonated with me. And when I'm asked, when I propose treatment or make a recommendation or engage with coaching and propose a program, well, how many would it take to show the value and the merits and the worthiness and the importance and the impact of this work. And I say, well, for me, one. Right? One is the perfect number. And that's as a person who loves 11. Right? But one has all the power. If we can help one, that can be everything. Right? Isn't one worth it? One life changed, saved, reminded, optimized? One is plenty. One is amazing. One is infinitely powerful. And I return that question, what would you value? When is it enough? And deciding that, whether one is enough, especially if we're thinking of the one us ourselves as enough or not. And we often think, well, what could I do? I'm just one person. I just have one life. I have one day at a time. I'm in this one moment. And that can seem not enough, right? There can be scarcity there. There can be insignificance, insecurity around it. But what if one was always enough? What if one always mattered? What if one was exceptionally powerful? In Storytime Sunday this week, I read the book, I Am One, which is a book of action by Susan Verde and Peter Reynolds, a team who have authored some of my most favorite children's books, although applicable to any age. And there's a series of these, I Am Human, I Am Love, I Am Peace. But this one, as you can imagine, demonstrates the impact of one and so beautifully states that one is how everything begins. One note in that beautiful symphony, one stroke of the brush onto the canvas begins the masterpiece. One step 
begins the journey, the marathon moves toward the finish line and the victory. One seed can grow the plant to feed the family. One, one stone causes all the ripples in the water that can extend and have a significant impact. So let us not underestimate one. And if we think about one in that way, in that expansive way, even if we see it as that singular, right? Just that pebble, that grain of sand even, it begins with one. One is always the foundation. And one can be so expansive. And even just picturing the visual of the word, having that O, having that infinity loop involved, having an open space, just say it, one. And hear the resonance and see where it goes. It can stand alone. It can be leading, right? You know that sequence, one, and you often want to finish it. And that means continuing to count and grow and expand and progress. Thinking about one, not as the smallest number, but actually as the beginning of everything. The number that can combine with itself again and again to make every other number. That is powerful. Right, so enough ones together are greater than any sum. And we keep adding those ones over and over again. So let's move from one, the mini, to one, the mighty. One, the too small, to one, the plenty. One, that scarcity and lacking mindset, to one of abundance and infinity. And see what emerges from there. And what of a different perspective of one, where one, right, with that power behind it becomes first. And let's think of the different ways we interpret first. And I'm going to stay osteopathic here for a moment, and we're going to go to the favorable ways in which we see and view and hear and interpret and internalize first. So you might think of first, and for me it comes to mind a gold medal, right? First place, top of the podium, first to the tape, right? And record-breaking, memorable, victory. So I hear first in all these glory frames. And yes, we want to be first. And noticing that first can't be taken away, right? If you were the first student in your class, if you were the first student ever in a certain school, if you're the first student of a certain gender or race or ethnicity or orientation, you are a trailblazer. And that can have a number of challenges, don't get me wrong, but there's something about being first and the memoriality of that, (laughs) the memorability, making up words there, first use of that word ever. And noticing the power, the esteem, the prestige, the desirable way that first can seem. And then let's think about first in its diminutive way, in its frustrating way, in its thank goodness we did that so we can move on way, in its failure way, right? As Brene Brown talks with us, the effing first times and how that feels, that frustration of not knowing of 
getting it wrong, of falling, of failing. And first can say, right, first is the worst. In our iterations, say we're an inventor. Oftentimes that first prototype has a lot that needs to be improved. But even then, even when we see first, or if we think about our first drawing or our first soccer game, we go back and watch that video, we think, oh my goodness, right? Look how much better I am now. I can't believe I was ever that bad at this sport. But first is the only way through. We don't get to the 100th time or the 10,000th hour of mastery without the first hour, without the first hour ever, or the first minute each day that we practice into that task and skill that we are gaining. And so first, just like one, is the invitation to everything. And those first moments are the only way through toward progress. And so what if we shift that mindset? And notice that, yes, there can be struggle and challenge involved. And right, there can be glory even in that first movement. And actually, those first prototypes, even if much needs to change, can demonstrate for you that ideas can become reality. And that can carry so much of its own significant power. And so what if one and first we're brilliant, we're beautiful, we're all-encompassing, we're enough just as they are, we're everything, in fact. And you can see my bias here, right? So my favorite number, 11, two ones side by side. And I looked at earlier this week the idea around amalgamation with my group, and we looked at some different versions And in my Facebook Live, where I spoke about the different Bs and thinking about between and the relationship and what it means to join, seeing those two ones stand side by side to make 11 and how they share their value in a different way, seeing the multiplicity in the expanse of that tens place, seeing how the other one can fill in where the zero was to increase that, to notice that they retain visibly their own identity and that they seem similar to one another. On the page, the one and the one, we know from the direction in which we're reading culturally what each one means when we have an awareness of place value. And at the same time, those ones are interchangeable, where they could switch spots with one another. And so it's entirely possible to retain one's own identity and to stand beside and to hold your own unique and significant value and allow the other to step into that space and to perhaps exchange from time to time. But seeing what one and what joining can mean. And let's take some time on this expansiveness and the unification principle. And I think about the oneness of humanity. And I think about that circle, just like the first letter in one. And that infinite energy that's involved of the continuity, of the embrace, right? And I'm picturing this circle that contains everything within it. Because certainly circles can become exclusive. 
And if they're formed so as to prevent anything further, anyone further from entering into the center of the circle, that doesn't hold the expansiveness. But when we continue to make adjustments, right, and picture the diameter increasing such that the internal capacity of the circle of that oneness is great, infinite even, that's where we find the greatest value in one. And recognizing that wholeness we all share simultaneously. So I am the one me. At the same time, you are the one you. And we are engaging in that together. We are engaging in that separately, but unified in many ways. And we've talked about this in different iterations and so fascinating how it continues to emerge. We talked about it first in breath and how that experience of shared breath simultaneously, globally, while still having enough to preserve our own life, not detracting from that that others have. We talked about that with life, right? Life is a concept of experiencing something simultaneously and entirely individually and as part of the greater collective where it can be shared but not co-opted by another from another. And so seeing how one continues to expand. And I want you to think about what are the firsts that you notice, perhaps in a restrictive way, in a frustrating way, in thinking, I'm so glad I never have to do that again, and pull them up and sit with them for a moment and notice what that is. Notice why it might have been so difficult. Notice if it's possible to simply see it in a different light with nothing changed to just see, well, that was the first time I did that. And that's probably exactly how it goes. And in fact, it is because that's the way it went. And I can decide whether to punish myself for that, to judge myself for that, to critique myself for that, to wish that away, to ignore it, to skip through and move to this way of being where I am now, or I can see it, I can acknowledge it, I can even allow for it, and I can be grateful and recognize that, of course, I had to step through that. And when I skip it, another version is just going to emerge, And so I might as well stay here in this space, encourage myself to understand, to embrace what is happening here, and simply to say, well, yes, of course, this is what is happening. And then notice what that first time actually meant, what it brought to you, what it led to, where you are now, what iteration do you consider that you've entered into presently? Are you on the second prototype? Are you on the 11th, the 100th? Right? What version of you is this? And what does it look and feel like for you? Now I want you to think of all the different things that would qualify for you as an identity, as a role that you have and hold dear. I listed my seven right in the opening of this podcast and in every podcast. And I see new 
versions emerging, some a more specified, detailed version of those roles that are already there, others totally new, right? Looking more into that teacher role. I don't see it explicitly here. I have coach and I have writer, and those are methods of teaching. But there are some more specifics emerging in that way. Looking at how all those combine to contribute to leadership roles that I have and with which I identify. And they don't always show up overtly. And if you haven't read Wolfpack by Abby Wambach, I highly recommend the book. It is a quick and powerful and actionable read. And noticing that leadership can come from any space and place. And so it doesn't require necessarily this explicit assignment of a role by placard or contract, but it can be available to you simply by the way in which you show up and engage in settings. And so think about all the roles and take a moment and write them down. I am, right? I am statements and fill that in and keep going and ask yourself, what else? Who else? How else? Who do I say that I am? And give yourself all those roles. And you might find that you also start to write feelings or ways of being. So we might write the specific identities. And then this exercise often lends itself to also seeing, right? I am joyful. I am confident. I am successful. Those words may emerge as well. Let them. And then see and spend a decent amount of time with this. You can decide what qualifies as adequate, enough, sufficient, desirable. But I would say minimum five minutes. If you can get to 10 to 15 and really let it flow, put all those roles out there. And then look at that and see if there are any that stand out to you as roles, tasks, activities, ways of being that you haven't really engaged with recently, that you don't necessarily acknowledge, that people might not know. And to be clear, it's okay, right? If privacy is important to you and there's certain roles you appreciate keeping held in some level of confidentiality, right, for yourself, no problem with that. But if you feel like you have to, Right? Or if you are unintentionally, or if you didn't realize you weren't truly engaging with or presenting this part of yourself to the world, notice why. And ask yourself if that's how you want to continue. And inquire internally, what is it that you're afraid would happen if you did live into this fullest version of yourself? What would the price be for exposure. What is the price for denial? And what would you like to do? And if the answer is to expand outward, to reveal to others, notice that and embrace that and simply say, okay, right, I am ready to be out of my shell and to be my whole self here and to allow both the part and the whole to be well by seeing them both by acknowledging them both, by nourishing them both and watching that simultaneous expansion, that synergistic effect and being grateful for that and for the knowing, watching, observing of myself in that way. And then remembering that one thing 
is plenty? If that's your choosing, if that's your full you, if that's you from your space of worthiness, and you never have to be just one thing, that all of you is welcome, can be seen and heard and made useful, utilized, engaged, embraced, enhanced, encouraged. And so listening for that, and if there are limitations imposed by you or by others, again, ask why. Ask if I want to keep it that way. Ask if this is a workable situation. When you're asking, you're asking you. You are the authority in your life. You are the one that you've been waiting for. And you've always been there. And you've always had the answers. And it is entirely appropriate to step into yourself and to expand yourself and to be the most beautiful, resonant, complete expanse of oneness. And consider how that looks and what that might feel like and how stepping into your oneness with the mindset that this is not only enough, but is plenty and it is powerful. And also stepping into these roles as one and bringing your whole self into each, right? So into those seven roles that I list, I bring my full self into the physicianship. And you might say, well, what? Because you're paused. But I am at the fullest expression of physicianship right now because I am speaking to, with, for, and through medicine in the way that I have always understood it to be and found restrictions in the current common dialogue. And so absolutely, I'm taking that expansive oneness into my role as physician and into my role as parent. And to be clear, expansive doesn't mean perfect, right? We are still human throughout all of this. We want to take our full self, that full oneness into our humanity. But taking full self into parenting, knowing there are challenges and there are celebrations and there are different ways of being moment to moment, particularly in this time. I take my oneness into my role as an athlete and I allow that to unfold and emerge as it will. I've had a lot of different iterations. I've had a lot of different paces. And if we think about firsts, right? I used to cross line first quite often. Now that's not available to me at this moment in time. And it's okay because the expanse of my oneness into athleticism is really for enjoyment, for experience of of that engagement with the body, for the opportunity to demonstrate progress over perfection. As a writer, expanding there, seeing that my words can be on the pages of others' publications, hearing the value in that, and knowing that there are enough layers in the story to qualify as a book, and moving that forward. Expansiveness as a musician, as I share with you here, I have gotten out instruments this week, both with myself and with my children, and also being a musician is so many other things. That expansiveness into coach and seeing all the different ways, iterations of my coaching experience. And then as entrepreneur and noticing that invitation, that that was the one moment, the one version of me that actually extended an invite that I received on time and that I effectively RSVP to, to be and bring my whole self.
in any situation and that that truly is the way to support the health of all things. And so while we look ahead, interesting, we're starting 2021, right? So we're moving into some expanse there. I encourage you to stay with me here on the podcast. And if you're a physician listening, I encourage you to join me for my upcoming course, Physician Coaching and CME, where you can learn without a doubt that you are amazing already, just as you are, and that there is always room to grow, right? One can always be multiplied by any other number. And one multiplied by itself remains itself, and that is enough when we decide that it is. And so join me beginning December 1st as we venture into group and one-on-one coaching and teaching sessions to demonstrate that one is enough, that one is infinitely everything, that one is the first space from which we progress, that we were never meant to be one thing, and that the one thing we are, incorporating all those parts into our wholeness and connecting us to the oneness of the universe is entirely enough. I appreciate your time and attention. And I send us forth into this week whole, expansive, grateful. This is Dr. Amelia Beaky with This Osteopathic Life. Thank you for listening. <laughs>